Our reading this evening is from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you brothers became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets, and drove us out, and displeased God, and opposed all mankind by hindering us, from speaking to the Gentiles, that they might be saved, so as always to fill up the measure of their sins. But wrath has come upon them at last. O Lord, have mercy on us. Thanks be to God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Here are some familiar verses from Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 5. Therefore... Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. That sequence from suffering to endurance to character to hope, and that a hope which is not put to shame, that sequence is hard for us to see in view of suffering. When we look at suffering, when we experience it, you might think in your mind, okay, I know this is going to work out for my good. I know that God uses all things for the good of those who love him. I know that suffering is what I need as a Christian. You might work all that out in your mind, but it's a long train to get from suffering to hope. Suffering, endurance, character, and then hope. 
So it's not the kind of thing that you can see at first. When you face suffering, when you encounter suffering, you cannot see the hope that comes on the other side of it. What's required of you in that moment is to believe God. To believe that whatever suffering he gives to you or grants you is suffering that he uses for your good as a father disciplines his children. This is the situation that Paul found himself in, having endured much suffering and having been patient and waited and believed in God, he found himself full of hope. So the story goes like this. Paul and Silas visited the town of Philippi, and when they were there, they cast out a demon. And everyone was upset because casting out that demon meant the end of business for those who had taken advantage of the young demon-possessed girl and her fortune-telling abilities. So they got in all kinds of trouble and were thrown into jail. And while they were in jail, they were singing hymns and praying psalms. We heard all about that when we did the letter to the Philippians last fall. So there they were in prison, Paul and Silas, and things were looking dreadful for them. What's going to happen? Who knows? They have no idea. It's just pure suffering. There they are, singing hymns and praising God. And in the middle of the night, something terrible happens that sets them free. They could up and leave. And when the Philippian jailer realizes that they could be gone, that all of the prisoners could be gone, he's about to kill himself. When Paul says, no, no, we're all still here. Don't kill yourself. And in that moment, the Philippian jailer realizes there's something spectacular about these fellows who've been singing God's praises. And he asks them what he must do to be saved, be baptized, you and your whole household. Well, the next day dawns, and Paul and Silas are still in jail, and the leaders of the Philippians The leaders of that town recognize, realize that Paul is a Roman citizen, and they all of a sudden are feeling like they're pretty desperate. To have jailed a Roman citizen citizen puts them in a bad spot. So they say, Paul, you you get out of here. We're going to let you go. We're sorry for what we've done. Paul makes them release him personally from prison, just to make the point. But then he and Silas, they have to go away. They have to leave town, leave behind that Philippian congregation. Now think about what that means, what that looks like, to have entered that town and then suffered so much and then to leave under such at least ambiguous circumstances. It wasn't exactly a victory, right? They had to leave town. How did Paul and Silas think about that? How did Paul understand what had happened to him? Well, however it was he thought about it, he came to the Thessalonians next and preached to them with boldness, with confidence. Although he had suffered so much in Philippi, Paul was now more convicted than ever of the goodness of God. Why? Not because everything had been smooth for him, not because everything was pleasant and easy for him, but why? Because he had seen God's word do exactly what God said it would do. He had seen it bear fruit. He had seen someone who was lost and in darkness come to faith. He'd seen someone saved by the precious words of Jesus. So Paul can come to the Thessalonians, and even there, in the midst of much conflict, Paul says, he's driven out of the synagogue by some Jews who rouse a rowdy group of Thessalonians, the rabble. He calls, they call the rabble to drive Paul out of town, and they have to go away. There's trouble. Paul has to leave. But even then, Paul proclaims God's word with boldness because he knows. He knows that it is God who is working through him. His confidence His confidence comes from the certainty that he has learned from the message that he has received. Not only did Paul see it go to work, God's word go to work on that Philippian jailer, but he's seen it in his own life. 
recognizing that it was only by God's grace, by his word of promise, that Paul was freed from the slavery to sin, that Paul was saved from persecuting Christians and persecuting God himself. Paul has this confidence because he knows how powerful the gospel is. Not to pave an easy path before him, but to change hearts. And so Paul speaks with authority. He says to the Thessalonians, You know that when I came to you, I didn't come with deceit. I wasn't telling you lies. It wasn't a big marketing scheme to try and convince you to believe me. There was no flattery. I wasn't just buttering you up, Paul says. But I came just speaking the truth to you. Speaking the truth and entrusting myself to God. Believing that it doesn't matter what you or anyone else says about me, but what matters is what God says about me. Knowing that God is the one who judges justly. Flattery and deceit and manipulation, those are the kinds of things that you need when you are trying to please people. When you're trying to appeal to them on the outside, using things that they can see. So that's when you have to tell lies. That's when you have to cloak things. That's when things have to be obscured, when you're trying to please men. But God sees differently than men see. Paul knew it. He knew that however he appeared to the Thessalonians, what mattered was what God saw inside of his heart. The faith that he had in God's word. And so Paul had no need for deceit or flattery. Instead, he had the truth. The snake oil salesman needs all kinds of gimmicks in order to get you to buy them, but not the one who peddles God's word. Because God's word comes in power. Power even to convert the Thessalonians from idolatry, to take them out of death and into life. Paul says, I did all of this to you, for you, because I love you, as a father or as a mother loves their children. He speaks to them from his heart and to their hearts, avoiding any of the masks or obstacles that, are, that come, rise up between people. There's no need for any of that. Speaking heart to heart, from one who knows what is good from God and who wants it to be received by those who need it, those who have also been loved by God. That's what enables Paul to even exhort and rebuke the Thessalonians, to say to them, look, you need to walk in a way that is pleasing to God. This is what Paul is saying in this second chapter of 1 Thessalonians, but there's an interesting question to ask here. Why? Why does Paul spend all of this time remembering all of these things, talking about how he came to them, reminding them of what they received from him? Why? Why am I bothering to say all of this to you tonight? Paul spends his time doing that sort of as a doxology, as a praise of God. Paul remembers what happened when he came to the Thessalonians and he preached God's word to them. He remembers that and he reminds them of that because that matters more than anything else. He's not remembering the fun times they had together or some funny moment that they experienced or the joy they had at just being together, but he remembers what God accomplished among them and how he did it, exactly how he said he would with his pure word, with the truth that saves, with the blood of Jesus, with promises from on high, with the approval of a God who loves those whom he has called and chosen, who loves his children to the end of the world. That's worth remembering. That's the basis for everything that Paul has to say to the Thessalonians, for everything he thinks about them, what God has done for them. That's what he praises God for. Later he's going to say, what else do I need? What other witness do I need of the goodness of God but you, dear Thessalonians, whom God has called and chosen, and whom God, God has saved? Paul is praising God for the works of God among those people. This is how we ought to live our lives. We measure them in so many ways. Accomplishments and praise of men, 
and ease and happiness and prosperity, all kinds of ways that we try to see and assess how we have been doing. But none of that matters. None of it holds a candle to this fact that God has worked mighty things among you already by his word, that he approves of you in Christ Jesus, that he loves you as a father loves his children, that he's been gentle and kind towards you, you who deserved it not at all, that he gave himself up for you so that he could be with you forever. It's a glorious thing, and it's what we ought to spend our time and our words magnifying. Listen to how David does this in the Psalms. You often hear this turn of phrase in the Psalms, bless the Lord, let us bless the Lord. That's what Paul is doing. He's blessing God for his works among the Thessalonians. Listen to David. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant, to remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over them all. Bless the Lord, O you his angels. Bless the Lord, all his hosts. Bless the Lord, all his works. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Bless the Lord that he has done such mighty and wonderful things for you. Pray that when they write letters about you, they write them in this way, praising God for the mighty works he's done among you. Pray that when others hear about you and what you stand for and what you believe, they hear about God, who has shown himself glorious and merciful for your sake. Thank God that he loves us in this way. Thank God that he has sent his word to us. Thank God that he has redeemed us and made us his own. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.